Hi, it's G3, and welcome to Green Marbles, recording on Thursday, April 27th, before the market open. And with me, I have Jordi Visser, President and CIO of Weiss, to talk about the overarching pessimism in equities that is pervasive throughout the market today. And specifically, we'll focus in on the old concept of a wall of worry that markets have climbed in the past. Will they do so again? Well, please check important disclosures at the end of the episode and join us to get Jordy's take. And with that, welcome. All right, we are recording. Jordy, even though I am not sitting next to you physically, it is good to have you on Green Marbles today. Hopefully, everyone will be able to hear our episode. And in the event that you do have any questions for Jordy, let me just say in the show notes, we have a form where you can ask Jordy anything, an AJA, because let's face it, I shouldn't have to ask all the questions all the time. So I'm going to ask the questions today though, Jordy, and we are going to talk about the wall of worry. Why people are so worried why everybody is so negative on equities, and how that can actually be constructive for prices. So before we go any further, let's just set the table stakes here. Jordy, what is the theory behind why markets climb a wall of worry? The concept is very simple, which is markets are going up despite uncertainty over the economy. And usually... Something with inside the financial markets, meaning earnings or debt or something along those lines. But when it's going up in the face of what I would say is fairly negative sentiment and uncertainty, that would be climbing the wall of worry. And in terms of just thinking about it for right now, I mean, that's exactly what it's done. And I think it's hard for people to to deal with it. I think there's a lot of frustrated people out there because climbing a wall of worry means the narratives that you're hearing are not actually coming through in the prices of stock. And the reason that stocks are, or the markets can do this is something we've talked about for a long time. And it's where when I was in emerging markets and starting in Mexico and then eventually in Brazil, I really decided after constantly watching how markets would fall violently before the economy fell off or rally violently before they got better because of the nature of the V tops and V bottoms that it was really, really important to get good at following leading economic indicators and not lagging economic indicators. And so what markets do, they're discounting mechanisms and it's money being placed at work. And I think right now, There's a lot of reasons for people to be scared of following the narratives. And most of them just have to do with the fact that this time is very unique. Well, let's go through a couple of those because, you know, there are some smart people out there who are very negative and they'll say things like, we are likely going to have an incredibly ugly debt ceiling fight. As a matter of fact, I have, as you know, I've been buying Bitcoin for some time in anticipation of the dysfunction in Washington sort of playing itself out. We have this ongoing war in the Ukraine, which probably is going to get more intense throughout the spring leading into summer. We have tensions in Asia. 
you have you know pointed out quite eloquently that there is diminishing trust in the U.S. financial system. And you have also spoken frequently about U.S. debt levels. You've coined the phrase, don't forget the debt. So in some ways, you are also worried about some of these factors. And so with that as the backdrop, why should we look past it and say, okay, stocks are going to be higher nevertheless? Are you going to change your spending habits because of a debt ceiling debate? (laughs) You know, I'm probably not going to change them very much, no. Okay. And if you go ask a hundred people throughout where you live, are they going to change their spending habits? I would venture to say most people would say no. Okay. So the economy is not going to change in the short term. If this plays out over a month, it doesn't matter. Now, when a hurricane comes through and it destroys you know, an area of the country, does economic growth slow down immediately? Yeah, of course it does. And for a period of time, it might disrupt GDP, but people will look through it. Do you think that the debt ceiling will be reality housewives TV show or will it actually end in a default by the United States of America? I hope the former. (laughs) Okay. Well, I would say that that's the highest probability. So I only think in horse racing handicapping terms, the reason I care about it, I'm not worried about the debt ceiling debate. It's a catalyst that's coming. It's like handicapping a horse race knowing that there's rain. I'm going through the Derby right now. And two fills is a horse that will, in my opinion, should be about 10 to one, probably going to go off at 20 to one. And one of the reasons I think it should be 10 to one is it rains at the Derby, I would say 40 to 50% of the years. And this horse looks like a great horse in the mud. And I think it's a talented horse. So with the debt ceiling debate, I just don't see how that or earnings are going to collapse. We're going to have a recession. Everyone talks. And when you say people are smart, everyone is smart in their own way. I just think the handicapping side is what you're saying, do people expect it? And what's the impact from it economically? And the reason I bring up the spending, banks going out of business hurts confidence. There's no doubt about it. But we're having our second bank failure now. And this is an example of how it's not just the markets climbing the wall of worry. SVB goes out. You and I talk about it. Everyone's talking about it that weekend. Everybody is aware of it. My kids are aware of it, the whole thing. We are now a month later. First Republic is hanging by a thread. It's not the same situation anymore as SVB. People aren't as worried. And the reason is because, hey, this bank has cancer. Okay, the Fed's going to give it chemo. Now, the Fed may not. They This may stop at some point. But the facts are that SVB was going out of business quickly and they came in and they gave chemo immediately to save depositors and make sure. So the debt ceiling to me, it might go to a thread, but it's more drama than it is reality of the economic side. So I view it as nothing more than maybe even, and I hate to say this because I'm starting to believe that SVB is a positive for markets in slowing the Fed down and stopping them early. And that is a reality of what's priced into the markets. And First Republic, helping. We've got a Fed meeting next week. And so this wall of worry of you think of what's happened for the last year, this stuff is all really built into the market and cash levels are high. And the market is telling me by some of the prices that people might be missing some parts of this that are different. And that's what I want to make sure is the one thing I'm at some point on this I'll bring up. This is the first period of kind of having slowing growth post 2008. And there's a lot of new tools for the Fed and a lot of new wills for them to deal with something that I think is very important to actually getting recessions and then getting a collapse in earnings. You cannot have them without a systemic event. 
And if they're going to keep stepping in to stop these systemic events, using this bazooka of a balance sheet where they have unlimited power, people need to adjust to the new Fed put. It's not about stopping the stock market from going down. It's about stopping systemic events. And that's what causes recessions. So I'm glad you brought that up because there is a seeming contradiction, which maybe isn't a contradiction that I want to ask you about. As you know, the VIX has been grinding lower and lower all year. And I haven't checked it today, but I've seen that it's hovering around 15 or 16 or or thereabouts. And yet when you watch TV, you read what market sages are saying, you know, everybody is negative. And yet there doesn't seem to be too much fear out there. Can the market be worried without being fearful? Like, I don't think so, right? If people have a lot of cash, then they have no need for insurance, right? I mean, plain and simple. And I just don't think there's a lot of people that are exposed to the equity markets right now. I've said this, I have tons of charts to support it. The market has priced in a recession for a while now. We had a big fall last year in stocks. You and I talked about it. And a year ago, or actually next week when we get into May, the Fed, I think it's May 3rd is the next Fed meeting. If you go back to May 3rd of last year, the Fed funds rate was 50 basis points. If you go back to where the S&P was on May 3rd, it was right around where it is today. So think about what's happened from 50 basis points, meaning they had only raised 25. Then they did a 50 in May. Then they did four 75s in a row. We had inflation that went up to 9%. Everyone was freaking out. We had barely been in Russia invading Ukraine, which ended up being an overhang. And we had the zero COVID policy in China that became a major event and worrying that China would side with Russia. And the S&P is unchanged with all that stuff going on. The VIX to me is representing not the fear. It is representing that there's too much cash in the system. And there are other things right now that tell me the exact same thing. And that's the part is when people start going through this and they go, well, there's a mispricing in the VIX. There's a mispricing in 10-year rates. There's a mispricing in Italian debt. There's a mispricing in junk. At some point, you're saying there's mispricings in everything. Well, that says to me, there's free money. And you and I talked about it. And I said this to someone yesterday. If you're watching the news and there's a Category 5 hurricane coming to hit Miami, no offense to all the people in Miami, but let's assume it's going to Miami. And everyone who doesn't have insurance on their home goes, I'm going to call the insurance agent right now. It's going to be really, really high. So instead of saying there's a fear factor, I think what you should view it as the cost of insurance is low. And what's the reason? It's not in one place. The fact that rates vol is high is justified because we've had a lot of movements in rates and we have had certain parts of the spread market wide. Now, mortgages are still extremely wide right now. And that's one of the places that I'm watching as a disconnect. Junk yields are barely above Fed funds rates. Seven-year IG yields are below the Fed funds rate. This stuff exists to me because there's too much cash sitting out there. And right now, everyone's sitting in fixed income because it makes more sense if you think the equity market is not going to be going up. So I just think we're at a different time period, and it's not a gauge of necessarily fear or worry. It's a gauge also of how much money is sitting in the system. Gotcha. And with all that system not in equities, would it be fair to say that they are underowned at present, thanks to all this pessimism and wall of worry out there. All right. So this is the part I don't think so underowned would mean that right now people don't have a lot of equities and they should. This has been a unique period. And I think all those things I said about that have happened since May of last year, I just want to add in one more thing. 
The book that got me interested initially in the markets, or one of the two, was Marty Zweig's book, in which basically was Don't Fight the Fed and Don't Fight the Tape. So last year, you had the tape going down, clearly, and you had the Fed raising rates. But you not only had them raising rates, for the only time in the history of markets in the United States, you also had the Fed saying, do not buy stocks. We don't want you to buy stocks. We want you to be scared. There's more pain to come, and we're going to keep going until we kill inflation. So they had a message. So you had the highest inflation in 40 years. You had the fastest Fed rate hikes in 40 years. You had the Fed telling you, do not buy stocks. You were coming out of a super reduced period where stocks had gone up during the middle of the pandemic. And you had some hedge funds down. There were no reasons last year to sit there in equities. I think that's all starting to change because we're at the end of most of these periods. And next week, it's very likely either A, the Fed doesn't raise rates. I mean, there's still close to a 90% chance they do. But let's assume that they get the Fed loan officer survey for this quarter. And all of a sudden, there's a huge spike in the inability of people to get credit and tighter lending standards. And they go, you know what? Either we're going to do 25 and then we're going to wait to see the impact that the tightening of credits has, or we're not going to do it at all. Whatever the case is, you believe it's very probable the market's built in that this is the last one. If you're at the end of the Fed and the inflation situation has come down sharply from 9% to 5% on headline, and by the time we get into June, unless there's some massive spike in energy, which I don't expect, headline inflation will have... Certainly a a low four handle, but it's almost for surely going to have a three handle because we have base effects coming through. So inflation will have gone from nine year over year, 9.1 to three something. And the Fed funds rate will be above five. I think we've kind of ended the inflation part for now. And we've ended the Fed part for now. And zero COVID is over. And I think that means with the stock market unchanged, you'll start to see that under owned things start to come through. You're, of course, very adept on the Bloomberg and the like, but I gather there is no... And, you know, function where you can just punch up which sectors are under owned. But how do you go about trying to determine where the pockets of under owned equities might be? So first of all, I mentioned leading economic indicators. That was kind of the first thing I went to follow. So I've been since June of last year when we started to kind of say, don't forget about the debt and really focus in on, hey, you guys can be positive on long term inflation, but you cannot get rid of three structural forces, which in my opinion are raising their head again, which is the demographics and exponential innovation. So with artificial intelligence accelerating right now, I think more and more, if inflation goes down like it is in China and comes back down to a level and it settles back down there, then everyone's going to regret not remembering the size of the debt we have, the fact that the demographics is a ticking clock and it just won't get any better. The debt ceiling is going to remind people about how big the problem is and how we just can't keep expanding debt theoretically. So we'll come to an agreement. So for assets, what I had to figure out was, okay, if I'm using leading economic indicators and to not focus on lagging economic indicators, how do I spend time on positioning? And the book for that was Elliott Wave Theory, which really came into match up the social side, and I'll call that the narratives, what you're reading in newspapers, what you're reading on Bloomberg, what you're hearing from strategists. Every single time I hear one of the strategists say, this is going to be a bear market. We're going down to 3,000 in the S&P. And then they go, well, maybe it's only going to go down to 3,500. Well, maybe it's what changes their narrative is the price. And that's what the Elliott Wave Theory was about, is what is the price saying, the tape, versus what is the narrative saying? And so right now, the tape 
in the way that I care, which is there's a recession coming and inflation is going to be higher for a long time and it's going to wreck earnings. Okay. Like I said, Italian bonds, not a problem. They were a problem June of last year. And what happened? The ECB created a facility in December of last year. The UK pension problem popped up. What did the B of E do? Oh, we'll create a facility. Oh, SVB is a problem. We'll create a facility. The narrative should be the central banks of the world are stopping systemic risk. And that should be the nature that the central bank put is not dead. And if anything, it's been showing up now since June of last year. And now we're going to be left with and we're done raising rates. So what everyone has to do, and this is the thing, G3, that like I really feel strongly about these central bank abilities did not exist before 2008. So when I made the joke on one of the podcasts that would you say Geno Smith is a better quarterback than Joe Montana? Because he had a better year this year than Joe Montana ever had statistically. People are doing regressions on recessions over the last 20 years when the new rules of the game are. And these are new rules since 2007. In 2007, the Chinese economy and the Asia contribution to global GDP was an odd lot. China's GDP was still less than $3 trillion. It's now almost the size of the United States. India and China combined this year will contribute more to global growth than Europe and the U.S. combined. So shouldn't we be looking at China and India as an important growth factor at the same time that people are talking about recessions? They're using recessions to say, well, we're going to have a recession. I don't see the recession coming. You and I have talked about this for a while. I do think we're going to see probably some job losses, maybe for a month, maybe for two. I do think the credit contraction will hurt. But by dealing with SVB, I want to go look at what other markets are saying. And the VIX, junk spreads, all of the debt markets are saying We're not going to have an inflation problem and we're not going to have a credit problem. And everyone can go get free money and go play for spreads to widen right now. And they can go out there and go buy the VIX. And according to every strategist, they can go short the S&P and go make free money because earnings are going to collapse. These are narratives. These are the markets looking through it. And I think the discounting part is that once we get rid of the inflation stuff and once we get rid of the Fed and we get through the debt ceiling, I think we've got a big problem on our hands for people that have been negative because I think once the S&P gets through the highs of the year, when and if that occurs, I think then you're going to have a FOMO problem. And where do you think the FOMO will show up the most in terms of how to think about positioning and the like? Yeah. And I think at this point, if we're not going to have a recession, this is the biggest disconnect we've seen between credit spreads. So whether I take, I'm just going to take, if, if everyone just goes through and looks, and I can show this chart of Fed funds rate and junk yields, the difference between junk yields and Fed funds rate. So right now, the Fed funds rate is about 5% and junk yields are about 7 You have a 200 basis point spread on paper that extends to seven years. So you're taking a lot of risks. So right now, the market is saying there's really no risk in junk spreads. Now, maybe that doesn't happen for two years. Maybe it doesn't happen for three years. Maybe it doesn't happen for four years. But it's saying there isn't anything there. So the thing is, normally beta is doing well during that. And right now, beta is not doing well. Everyone is diving into stocks that are safe. They're diving into recession-based stocks. And I guess that makes sense because of the banking crisis. But I would say beta is going to outperform significantly once it's turned. And I don't think it's going to last for three months. I don't think with where the Fed funds rates are, you have to remember that if anything slows down, the Fed can now cut rates. I mean, we're in a different framework, and that's why if inflation is going down and the rates have been reset higher, you actually have a situation that if they need to, 
they can go. I think Bade is going to go higher, and mainly because I think the rate situation is probably going to just surprise people. Long-term rates, there's insatiable demand, and it's going to squeeze out. So right now, IG yields are back down to 490-ish. They were up above six. Yes, the S&P PE continues to go up a little bit because the earnings are negative. And maybe they stay negative, but the reality is if you've got a 20 PE on the S&P, you've got a 5% earnings yield, you're getting a dividend, you're getting some kind of buyback yield, and you have IG yields down at 485, 490. And I think that means stocks are still very attractive relative to bonds. And if we come out of this picture, which I think we will, I think people are going to be in a in a problem. I don't think stocks are going straight up, so people get it. This whole year, I thought we'd be 10 to 15% type return for the year. I still think that'll hold. But I think people should be focusing more on beta and less on the defensive names for the second half of the year. Gotcha. Very, very helpful. New rules of the game. Jordy, as always, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. Hopefully we can do it next time in person. I'm sure we will, G3. Thank you. This podcast should not be reproduced, copied, distributed, or published in whole or in part. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The views expressed herein are subject to change without notice. Information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investment. Any health-related information shared on this podcast is not intended as medical advice or for use in self-diagnosis or treatment. Please consult a qualified healthcare professional before acting upon any health-related information on this podcast. Please review related show notes for this podcast and visit www.gweiss.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.